So when we deal with a wound and put a dressing on, we might be doing that from our point of view, hey, this is me as a nurse doing wound care, but really wound management is all of patient care. Welcome to Beyond the Wound, your source of leading voices for healing people. My name is Tanya O'Hara and you are just listening to Gary Bain, our guest for today's episode. Currently in private practice as principal of The Wound Guy, Gary Bain provides education to medical, nursing, allied health and product industry personnel. Gary holds a master's degree in clinical education and also provides clinical support to patients via their clinicians in the aged care, primary care and community sectors. The Wound Guy's purpose is to enhance the well-being of individuals who experience a wound and to empower those who care for them. Gary is a lecturer for Australian Lymphedema Education Research and Treatment Program at Macquarie University. He is also a patron of the Lindsay Legg Club Foundation, a partner with Health Shared Network, and is a member of the lecturers for the Australian College of Nursing. Today I spoke with Gary about his experience as a clinician and an educator in caring for people with wounds and shared insights about chronic and hard to heal wounds. Gary is very knowledgeable in this area and this is an episode you're going to want to hear if you work in this space. So wherever you're joining us from today, it's great to have you with us as we dive deep into this topic with Gary. It's great to have you join us today, Gary. So let's get straight to it. I guess we tend to focus on hard to heal or chronic wounds, but I thought it would be nice to start our conversation today on the premise of why, in fact, wounds do heal. Yeah, thank you, Tanya. And thank you for having me as well. Yeah, I like to start on that positive note, is, is why do wounds heal? Because that is our expectation throughout our entire life. You go back to your very first memory of that first wound you had. It wasn't nice. It wasn't pleasant. We may have cried a bit, but we always had the expectation that it would get better. But what makes wounds get better? Boy, our integumentary system, or otherwise known as skin, is such an amazing structure and organ. But it is inbuilt. We have this magnificent cellular pathway that we follow. You know, our skin's made up of three separate layers, the epidermis, the dermis, and the adipose underneath. They're structurally all different, but yet in perfect harmony, these three layers work together, sending their messages, coordinating their cellular structures and functions, and they bring this wound to closure. Because wounds and our skin never exist in isolation. We come as an entire package with everything working together. And we, we talk about chronic or hard-to-heal wounds as wounds that do not uh, necessarily heal within that expected time frame or follow those normal stages of healing and in which I guess healing is consequently delayed. What does this in fact mean? And are the terms chronic wounds and hard to heal wounds in fact different? Yeah, that's a good question too. I mean, we have throughout my decades of dealing with people with wounds, we've kind of lobbed them into two camps that they're either acute or chronic. But I think as we've become to understand more the nature of our biology, I think we've become a little bit wiser about how we work and the times when we don't. I actually like to use three different settings for wounds. Those wounds which do go through the steps of wound repair uneventfully 
beautifully supported where all systems are in balance. For me, that's the wounds I think of as being healable wounds. It was great. Dr. Leanne Aiken said, if we've got wounds we believe can get better, they should be 50% smaller after four weeks of our care of these wounds. So she's even given us a time frame to potentially consider. You've then got what we used to call chronic, but now consider that they might be hard to heal. And I like that view because we're hard to heal because of something. Mm. And the because of is usually coming back to this interfacing idea. Is your wound hard to heal because you have inadequate nutrition? So is there a gut absorption problem? Is there an arterial delivery compromise? So there's a cardiovascular issue. Mm. So we can begin to see maybe that there's other systems not working in an optimal manner. And if they're not, then the integumentary system will be compromised. Can those other systems, in fact, be repaired or restored or work in a better way? Then maybe the integument can work better also. Mm. So the hard to heal is usually one where we think, oh, we think we can get to closure, but we've actually got quite a bit to work on where it's not just the wound now. But then for me, there's always that third group because we make the assumption that wounds can somehow get better, that all wounds can somehow get better. There are going to be occasions where closure and repair of a wound is not realistic or obtainable. Mm. So for them, they're the non-healable. So for me, I see my role within wound care as one where I, I need to ultimately look at that person that I have the privilege of caring for and to be able to look at one point into their eyes and say, hey, you know this wound of yours, this is something which is healable, hard to heal or non-healable. And if we can explore that and as to the reasons why we might put somebody in each of these categories, so each classification really comes with its expectations and goals. And that's why I think we really need to be focusing on that when we see somebody with a wound, what is it and what does it ultimately mean? Mm, absolutely. And I think as you suggested, there is certainly some overlap between the two, but while they both have the potential to heal, they do not always refer to the same thing. And I really liked the fact that you also brought up, in fact, that some wounds are non-healable. And I think it's important to have those discussions with patients yeah. early on. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Well, I read something recently, Tanya, where one of the journal articles that I have the privilege of, of accessing, and this author from February of this year, made the comment that in their experience, at up to 50% of venous leg ulcers, which have had a duration of six months or more, may in fact never go on to heal. So I actually think you're so right. We need to have at the back of our mind and at some point be prepared for the discussion as to what does it mean if this wound in fact doesn't get better. Absolutely. It's so important to have that inclusive dialogue with the with the patients. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit more on how this works and how you would, I guess, diagnose and assess these wounds. Yeah, thank you for that. We do need a strategy. I, I'm now going to confess my bias, if I may, here. Back in 2007, a, a gentleman who I am so proud of because he has been one of my greatest mentors and teachers, so I'm very fond of him, and thus there is the point for my bias. But his name is Professor Keith Harding, and he, with colleagues back in 2007, spoke of something we now know as the Heidi model. Heidi talks about, the, there's an, an acronym, so we talk about the history or the story. 
It's then the examination, what it is that you can physically see and feel and describe and measure and smell. The investigations when you have an academic construct to say, oh, I might need more information maybe from the blood supply, from a scan, from an ultrasound, from a wound swab. Ultimately, those three subsets of the story, your examination, your investigations, lead you to the D in Heidi, which is the diagnosis, or in other words, the reason for the wound to exist. So Tanya, it's such a shame that you've had this wound now for three months. But as we go through the history, the examination and the investigations, maybe now we can tell you that your wound is there because of this reason. And your wound is either going to be healable, hard to heal or non-healable. And then based on why we believe that you have this challenge before you with your wound, now we can make plans as to what we're going to physically do about it and what we hope that our interventions may ultimately achieve. Mm. So for me, I like the Heidi model as a strategy. It's certainly not the only one. Uh, There are numerous industry partners who have their own construct on this, but those which are somewhat patient-grounded and centred, which is what I like about Heidi, because you see, Heidi started with your story, Tanya. So it means I need to zero in on you intimately from the very beginning to know all about you, your medical conditions, your medications, your interests, your your labours, those things which worry you and harass you about your wound. So it's the big picture of you first and then zeroing in down to the wound later on and then trying to see how everything makes sense altogether. Hmm, absolutely. So I'd like to draw out a little bit more around comorbidities such as diabetes, which we know can impair the body's natural healing processes, but potentially also some of the other factors that can contribute to the development of these chronic wounds, such as age, poor nutrition and and medications. Invariably, comorbidities raise their ugly heads when wounds seem to be stuck in an inflammatory state. Not exclusively so. We, We know we've got four steps of wound repair. So we start with the formation of a blood clot, We then go through inflammation, which is really our immune system reaction, and it's really a delivery pathway. You know, what you first need to get to the broken tissue and to the bugs which are present in a wound is you want to get your neutrophils and white cells there, and those things are never present in a wound in big numbers, but yet you need them there now in big numbers. So inflammation where you see the dilatation of the capillary mass within the wound and around the wound is your delivery pathway of getting your white blood cells there to the wound site. You should normally try and overcome that damaged tissue and microbial burden in a short period of time, which allows you to move on to then make brand new tissue or in the proliferative phase. And it's during that you see granulation tissue, you see your brand new uh, epithelial covering, and you get closure at the end of proliferation, which then allows you to progress to how you make this wound stronger and ultimately form a scar whose strength means that the wound is about 80% as strong as surrounding skin. Mm. So you've got these four steps that we go through and really we can stall in any one of these. You know, medications may make you delay your activation of the platelet in the clotting format by, say, anticoagulants, antiplatelet medication like aspirins. Uh, steroid medications may actually prolong the ability to go on and produce your clot. 
Because once the clots happen, then the rest of these steps then take place. Then we can see we can stall in any one of these other domains also. But it is just that the majority of the comorbidities that you and I will see, you mentioned diabetes, we mentioned being advanced years of age, we can talk about obesity, we can talk about lymphedema. Basically, most of the times that we get stalled or stuck is during this inflammation period, which was designed to be short and sharp and targeted, but now becomes prolonged. And it is during this inflammation phase is often when we then see the destruction of tissue. So we may see the development of slough of necrotic material. This is when you get surrounding skin excoriation, maceration, and so on, because you get a high exudative burden. And there are a tremendous number of inflammatory cells usually within that exudative burden as well. Mm. So... We know all of this is happening. We can see this at wound level, but the thing is why? Why are we stuck in this inflammatory state? For some instances and for a large number, it may be infection is part of this story, but is infection the cause or infection there for the ride? Mm. Uh, We often talk about biofilm, and this is something you may um, ask further about shortly as well, but We know that a degraded or debilitated individual will really struggle with a a wound where it may have started as something simple, a bang or a knock or a skin tear, but it is just progressing in such a slow manner or not progressing at all. And we are in this hard to heal time frame. We are starting to see tissue degrade. We're starting to see exudate build. We are not seeing signs of the wound contracting or getting smaller. And maybe that what we are seeing is for that that degraded, debilitated, older individual that the biofilm is there as the challenge, whether it's the cause or not, but it is there now as a challenge and it's something we may have to help people deal with. In my mind, I'm looking for reasons that we should become stuck in one of these phases of repair, knowing that most of the time the inflammatory phase is where our challenge lies. Mm. I guess, could you consider any of the other factors such as, you know, elevated MMPs, which is also, you know, a contributing factor to wounds being hard to heal or chronic and how this is managed? You know, you and I today are going to lose nine grams worth of our epidermis. It's going to float off into our socks and jocks into the bed linen, be there in your carpet, your curtain, everywhere else. So there's nine grams of your human anatomy gone. So that's weight loss without trying. But, you know, healthy integument means you're going to put on another nine grams as well because you're going to remake that and and reposition that. But, you see, it's proteases which allow you to shed your epidermis because your epidermis is held by nature or a series of bonds, which when those dead squames are ready to be released, your proteases break those bonds and then away your epidermis goes. Now, you see, we've got two more layers of the integument. And we know that we have this magnificent structure within the dermal layer, which actually connects the epidermis to the dermis to the adipose. We refer to this as the extracellular matrix. Now, that matrix is a gorgeous scaffold. It is very interactive. There's so much that happens in that from the point of view of the passage of fluid, of gases, of cell movement and reconstruction. But we undergo wear and tear every day. Um, So as we age, as we encounter minor trauma, parts of this scaffold become broken or wear out. 
And so the job of your protease is to break the bond between that broken bit of scaffold so you can zing it off down the lymphatic pathway, but then you use cells in your dermis to remake that scaffold. So you see, you and I, all three layers of our integument, so it's not just the epidermis, all three layers undergo renewal all of the time. Mm. And one way of getting rid of these broken, worn-out elements is to have proteases present. Mm. But in the healthy integument, yours and mine, hopefully mine, certainly yours, but hopefully we have a balance, a balance to say that here is proteases which will get rid of the broken, denatured material, and then we have a, a inhibitor to that. We have something which is, oh, it's great, you can break that bit of bonding down, but leave the rest, because the rest is good. So there's a protease and an inhibitor for the protease, so that things are held within their balance, and it's only that degraded tissue that needs to go. You asked in your previous question about comorbidities that keep people stuck in a hard-to-heal state. Those comorbidities have, as one of their outcomes, the capacity where they disrupt this balance. Mm -hmm. So this balance between proteases and their inhibitors is one of the hallmark signs of being stuck within this inflammatory state, which we shouldn't be. Inflammation should be there for a short, sharp period of time to do its job, but then it should go away. Mm. But in these wounds which are struggling to get better, we are in this inflammatory state, and the one great hallmark sign of this is one that your wound continues to exude, and what will be present within that exudate and within this inflamed wound will be proteases no longer in balance, proteases who, re who retain that capacity to continue to break bonds down. And this often means that we see proteinaceous structures being broken down, being destroyed, and so often then we see exudate, we see excoriation, we see inflammation, and we see the development of devitalized tissue like slough. And when that is the case, we know then that we, we have a challenged environment and we now need to say, how can we support this wound? But we support this wound only in the background of supporting the entire patient as well. So your wound care only makes sense in the context of surrounding patient care as well. But how do we ultimately move this person away from this inflammatory challenge? And some of this is going to mean how do we deal then with proteases that are present? Absolutely. That's a great response, Gary. I recently read a very interesting post by a wound biologist, Palm Jack Smith. Yes. Who described the nature and the complexity of damage in these living organisms at all levels, you know, from the smaller cells to complete body systems and yeah. really how fundamental this is in wound medicine. And he stated that to understand this, we need to look at the consequences of damage, which you've just nicely described, which I guess in turn turns out to have those three dimensions of that structural, functional and regulatory sort of systems. But with these dimensions, it becomes clear how the, the four direct causes of the tissue damage manifest themselves in multiple ways in the structure, function, regulation of cells, tissues and organs and systems, which is... I guess really aligns with what you've just said and which is why it's really so important that there's no point in doing a wound assessment when you haven't actually done a holistic patient assessment. I completely agree. Yes. Absolutely.
So Gary, I think we've covered a lot around the integumentary system and how important it is to, you know, keep bringing it back to the patient and not just, you know, not just looking at the wound, but assessing the patient holistically. Could you elaborate on this a little bit further and tell us what it really means in managing not only the wound, but also managing the patient holistically? You know, it, it strikes me that I, I think of some of the work of Julian Guest, who when he was looking at chronic wounds in the UK, he was able to make a statement that said one in four people with hard to heal wounds had no diagnosis, which therefore means no reason for understanding why their wound existed. So this for me is point number one, is that people have a right to know why is my wound here? What is the nature of my wound? Why does it exist? Why isn't it getting better? Is there something that I should be doing more? Is there something I'm doing wrong? And it's astounding to me the number of times I see individuals with wounds which have been present for lengthy duration. And it's impacting upon not just them, but the significant others around them. And the capacity for blame. Somebody needs to be blamed for this, you know, Tanya. It's, is it my fault? Is it the fact we're not eating properly or we're not getting enough fluid to drink? Uh, is there something that my doctor hasn't done right? For me, when I think about the holistic view of wound care is who is the person with the wound? Really, wound management is all of patient care. I actually really don't like the word wound management. I don't like to describe myself as somebody who does wound management because it puts the emphasis in the wrong place. We actually care for people who live with and experience wounds. And that means that it must be an all-of-person response. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, it, it comes back to what we spoke about earlier is making sure that when we are caring for patients, we do have a patient-centered diagnosis. We do have inclusive patient dialogue. And we do use the best available evidence-based decisions in their treatment. I agree. And, and now this actually then brings us to a, another step. And that is when we do start thinking about our tools now, you know, dressings are great things, but they are our tools to do jobs at certain time. And so when you see this person and their wound and you do your wound assessment in light of what it is that we're hoping to achieve for this person, maybe now is the time we say, hey, what tools can help with the pain reduction side of this person's care? What tools help reduce odor? What tools may help reduce slough? When I look at the trauma to that surrounding skin, what wound products are going to be able to help me reduce exudate burden and maybe modify the proteases that are there within the exudate? Mm -hmm. So once you know your overall goal and where it is that you want to head with that patient that you're caring for, you now can begin to see in your head the list of tools that you may require to now interact with that wound to give that person the outcomes that they require or need. And I guess we could spend a whole day talking about, you know, tools that are available and different wound treatment options. But is there anything that you could sort of suggest as, as advice to these clinicians that are struggling with the challenges of these hard to heal or chronic wounds? One of the things that historically, as health professionals looking after people with wounds, we've never really been that good at, has been the collection of data around the patient, the wound, our goals, and the tools we use to try and attain those goals, and then saying, oh, how are we going? Did that work? How do we know if that worked? 
So really what I like to try and get the, the people that I work with doing is to become good with measuring and with measuring regularly. We need to take ego, emotion, and some of these constructs out of the care of people with wounds because ultimately what speaks is what's the results of what we're doing. So we know, for instance, that Patricia Grocott was involved in the creation of something called the Teller Tool, which helps us then to look at the idea of what odor may mean. And we can actually rate odor from zero to five. How do I know how we're going with this stinky wound that you were telling me about, Tanya? What if we could actually measure it and describe it so that we're all actually measuring and describing exactly the same way? And if we are going to make a difference for you in this stinky wound, we can describe that in numbers. Now, what if also we are in discussion around, oh, blimey, now is this wound infected or not? Isn't it nice if we might have access to a tool which could give us a bit of an objective view of, hey, what do we describe? What do we measure? What does that tell us as to whether there's an infection present or not? You guys have come up with something really nice called the Tilly tool, the Therapeutic Index of Local Infection. The one thing that all of us can and should be doing is I talk about these as the three pillars to me of wound measurement, and that is looking at the size of the wound, describing in a percentage format the types of tissue quality within a wound. So how much of that wound is necrotic or sluffy or demonstrating granulation tissue or new epithelium? And then the third thing is, what's your volume of exudate? Measuring exudate can be a little bit tricky. Uh, if you can collect fluid, then you can do that in mills. But sometimes you, you can't do that. So one way of being able to measure your output can be if you weigh your dressing before you put it on and you weigh your dressing when you take it off. We do this in lymphedema, for instance. And this tells us how many hundreds of mils or tens of mils have then come away because of that weight change. We need to say, hey, look at our data. Mm. What does this mean? What do we now do? Mm. So I think we need to be far more data-driven. It really highlights the importance of, you know, not just a one-off consultation, but that ongoing evaluation and reassessment of these wounds that's so important. Because as you said, you can't just have one, one treatment plan and stick to it and hope that it's going to work. One of the prolific experts in the wound care field, David Armstrong, suggests that chronic wounds are in remission as opposed to healed. Mm. I'd be interested to know what you would say to this. I, I think he's right. And I, I know David's expertise is in the diabetic foot, of which he's one of our world's great champions, isn't he? He's, he's just a dynamite individual. But there are many underlying pathologies which are actually in, in a similar boat. You know, once you've got venous hypertension and we see when people have this over a course of decades and we see the tissue changes that happen as a result, you know, they're never going to go back to being normal. Hopefully we can ameliorate some of the underlying pathophysiology, but for so many individuals, the underlying causes or reasons for their venous hypertension, whilst maybe treatable to an extent, it doesn't actually mean it goes away or, or ever goes back to how it used to be before their DVT, for instance. So there are going to be some pathologies where if you actually can't correct the underlying nature of, of what is the cause, then there is always the chance that as we treat symptoms, that we can improve quality of life while the symptoms are under control. But if we don't always remain on top of the symptoms, if the underlying disorder is still present, then we go backwards. 
I work a lot, Tanya, in a lymphedema unit in a rehab hospital. And we do find that there's a large proportion of people with lymphedema actually come from a venous hypertension background, but it's not exclusively so. But we regularly see people with lymphedema who being treated and they have a treatment plan, a treatment cycle, they often do very well in controlling their symptoms, but things can fall off the cliff pretty quickly and they go downhill because ultimately the underlying reasons for their edema to be there are still there. So it may well be that the new episode of cellulitis means they're no longer in control right now and their underlying pathophysiology has been made manifest again. And so they go back to square one for a while. And then as we resolve that inflammation, the infection, as we can reduce the edema, then we can bring them back to symptom control once more. But yet there'll always be that possibility of a sitting duck of the next time. So I agree with David. I think he's right. So it's not just the diabetic foot, but I think it's the possibility of any long-term pathology, which you haven't been able to adequately correct or is non-correctable. So you really are then stuck with saying, well, what are the symptoms that we can control? And you focus on what you can control and what that may mean, but knowing that there is a risk we could fall back. And I guess that really reiterates the importance of follow-up care in these patients. Absolutely. And the prevention of reoccurrence where where we can actually intervene. The other thing is the issue of follow-up, as you just rightly said. None of this is very easy if you're not in a capital city. So the further you are away from a capital city and more regional and remote areas, follow-up becomes challenging and difficult. And sometimes the geographical isolation or financial burden, some of these very sociable reasons or logistical reasons may be ones which impact on that individual. And so remission may in fact become a challenge for them. And so the recurrence of wounds becomes an ever-present problem. Yes. And that is a common theme in some of the other conversations I've had with the likes of Hayley Ryan and, and Peter T and in in previous podcasts and and really around the disparities in these areas with the accessibility and the equity of the care. Because as you rightly suggested, you know, the rural and the remote locations makes that access difficult for this cohort of patients. So I guess we've come to towards the end of the uh, the podcast and, and one of the last questions that we ask in our podcast is out of everything that we discussed today, what would be the one take-home message that you would like clinicians listening to take away from today's discussion? And I know that might be a difficult question because we've certainly covered a lot, but what would that one message be, Gary? Sure. My message is is that we care for a person who has a wound, and the wound is usually our prism to get to begin to see all of them. So my thinking is when I have the opportunity of looking after somebody with a wound is I want to be able to have time with that individual and leave that room thinking, how have we helped that person have their best day today? And only they will know what that best day should look like. And if we can help them in that journey, then we have fulfilled our responsibility, our calling, and have had the privilege in so doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Hard to heal and chronic wounds require a comprehensive and coordinated approach to promote healing and ultimately to prevent complications. Proper assessment, addressing underlying health conditions, and also implementing appropriate wound care interventions 
are key strategies in managing these challenging wounds. Managing hard to heal and chronic wounds requires a multidisciplinary approach, patience and preservation for successful healing. And with proper care and management, healing of hard to heal and chronic wounds is possible and patients can achieve improved quality of life. So it is crucial to prioritize effectively and manage these challenging wounds to prevent complications and promote optimal healing outcomes. Remember, if you or someone you know is struggling with a chronic or hard to heal wound, it is important to seek professional medical advice from a qualified healthcare provider. So let's continue to raise awareness about the importance of proper wound care and the challenges of hard to heal and chronic wounds to really support the effort to improve wound care outcomes for all patients. What a great conversation. I had a wonderful time chatting with Gary and we hope you found our discussion informative and gained a deeper understanding about hard to heal and chronic wounds. We have links in the podcast description for those listeners who want to go further beyond to learn more about Gary and his work or learn more about the topics we discussed today. We also have links to the Ergo Medical website. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we have more episodes coming soon featuring Australia's experts in the chronic wound space. So make sure to save us so you're reminded when we drop the next episode. Here is a sneak peek of our next episode. See you then. Everything we do is about relationships that we build every day. So the relationship we have with our patient, with their carer, their families, the relationships we have with our peers, with other practitioners, the relationship we have with industry and our suppliers, all of these relationships are critical in being able to deliver good care. And that's what we all want to do.